Hi everyone, I'm 2017 Canadian Junior Curling Champion Kristen Streifel. My guest on the first episode of Next Steps with Kristen is 2011 Canadian Junior Champion Kirk Myers, who is now the third for Team Laycock. They are the 10th ranked men's team in the world, and Kirk is also a fellow Saskatchewan native to boot. A quick word from our sponsor, and then Kirk Myers. Curler's Corner is located inside the Calgary Curling Club. It is your one-stop curling shop no matter where you are in the world. Celebrating 24 years, Curler's Corner is family-owned and operated and has been providing curlers of all levels from beginners to world champions with the equipment they need to give their best performance on the ice. Whether you're looking for a broom, shoes, a slider, gloves, embroidery, or customized apparel, or simply looking for gifts for your next bond spiel, Curler's Corner has what you need to fill your curling equipment needs. Drop in the Curler's Corner at the Calgary Curling Club, give them a call at 403-270-0220, or visit www.curlerscorner.com. Curler's Corner, your one-stop curling shop. In 2011, your team finished fourth at the Worlds to end your junior career. Looking back now, how would you summarize your experience as a junior curler? Thank you, Kristen. I guess the only difference between that bronze medal game is uh, you won it and I didn't, so there's, there's a little difference there. So, But uh, uh, no, my junior career was uh, long. I remember I, I got to my first provincial when I was 13. And uh, then I was in provincials, I think, every year until I was 20 after that. But um, the one thing I remember is I didn't win one until my last year. And um, I'd lost three provincial finals. And, and you know, as a curler, winning that green jacket, well, when you're from Saskatchewan, winning that green jacket is um, the most special thing in the world. And I was 20. I hadn't won any one yet. And I kept banging my head against the wall. And uh, lucky enough, I was able to win it my last year. But looking back, um, still some of my best friends come from the guys I played with, the people I played against. Um, it's a really uh, cool time in, in uh, any athlete's probably um, life, and uh, to look back on it is pretty cool. But going through it, there was some definitely some times when uh, I felt like quitting and I felt like crying a lot too. So you often hear the pro game in curling is much different than the junior game. What are some major differences you have experienced when you made the jump from juniors to men's? And if you could go back to when you first came on tour, what would you do differently to make sure you could hit the ground running and adapt more quickly to playing? On tour yeah there's there's tons of differences and um one of them was obviously almost an experience thing and i'm not exactly sure how you can get more experience faster um but uh in terms of financials too the cost to play uh, on a call it on a pro team is so significant it's so much more than uh, um, you'd ever think you had in junior so that was one of the big hurdles for us to get over is is finding enough finances to go out and, and do what we needed to do to get to the top of the game um when no one knew who we were and so it was a chicken and the egg scenario and and we were lucky enough to have some um some some companies that were on board with us behind us to allow us to do that but that was probably the biggest hurdle um, obviously off the ice um, so that that's one of the things I think uh, um, young juniors need to be thinking about is how 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 to get enough funds to be able to um, really propel yourself to the top of the game um, the other is um, probably in in terms of just sheer shot making and and as I've watched you um, play last year, I, I don't. I believe the shot making is so much better than it was when we were in juniors. And when we made that first jump, we were cocky and we thought we had it all figured out. And we played that first year of men's and we got pumped. And because we weren't good enough. And I think uh, as ki- as kids are getting better, younger, that that shot making difference is is going 
is becoming way less. That window is closing a lot, and and I, I noticed that lots when I was watching you and and even Tyler's team play the juniors last year. I just couldn't believe the shots they were making, and uh, and and the shots you guys made in that Canadian final were unbelievable. And and I don't think we were making those shots ten years ago. So those were the two biggest areas for me that I figure that if 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 I could have been better at financially, and if I could have been better off uh, shot making wise, um, you could hit the ground running. And I think a lot of t- really top junior teams are starting to make that happen now especially on the ice. So when players make the transition from juniors to pros, much of the attention is put on whether they can make the shots at the next level, but the mental side of the game is sometimes overlooked. How important has adapting your mental approach to the sport been in your growth as a curler since turning pro? Yeah, that's uh, that's probably one of the biggest areas that allowed me to become uh, a good enough shot maker at this level. When I was in juniors, I would just go th- kind of play every game and sometimes I would play good sometimes I wouldn't and I wouldn't really know why and I would really hang it a lot on on really a lot of technical things and physical things and um, looking back I realize now that in a lot of cases it was it was really mental errors and and not being mentally strong enough and I wouldn't have really noticed or recognized that without a couple key um, psychologists, I guess, sports psychologists that I've worked with over the years, and um, Ralph Schoenfeld in Saskatoon here and Kyle Paquette at Ottawa. And um, they really were able to um, bring out the athlete in me. You know, I, I think I always had the capability to be a very good athlete and a very good curler, but um, they allowed my really my, my head to get out of the way and to allow myself, my body, to just do the work. And there was a time in Edmonton, I remember sitting with Kyle on the ice, and he told me, I remember, think about my life left toe when I'm sliding nothing else but my left toe and that was really something that'll probably stick with me forever because that really allowed me to just make shots and before before then I always thought I had to overthink things I had to keep internalizing stuff and he was able to bring it out in me that realized that my body knew what to do and I just had to get my mind out of the way so um, if it wasn't for for Ralph and for Kyle and really for that day in Edmonton about five six years ago I probably still wouldn't be playing the game today or certainly wouldn't be playing it to the level I am but um, so I, I can honestly say the biggest difference in my junior play to my men's play is just my mental toughness and my ability to kind of get my mind out of my body's way. You're touching on the mental side of things, but I also know that the physical side of the sport is also improving quite a bit as well. Um, Your team works with Bruce Craven, I believe, and I have also worked with him in the past. So just talk about what what kind of things you're doing with him and uh, the fitness aspect of the game. Yeah, totally. And and I guess... uh, you know, like you, like you said, there's so many areas that you obviously have to be good at every area to, to be the best. And um, we do a lot of work with Bruce, and, and we even now take him on the road because we realize the, the need to get uh, your body in the right position and, and your body right to be able to make all the shots too. Um, we spend... Uh, um, well, every day in the gym working on something, whether it's um, strength, movement, stretching, um, as guys, our hamstrings are tight as can be, so we're always stretching something out. Um, but um, and, and Bruce has been really, really tagged onto our team to really to learn the game and learn the nuances of the game, travel with us to understand you know, what we need to do on a day-to-day basis when we're on the road playing three games a day um, for you know, like a briar where we're playing eight days in a row. Um, the, the games are four hours long. You're not getting much sleep. So he, he really understands fit physically what we need to do and where we need to be because we always said we need to be physically strong so we don't fatigue so our mental capacity can stay up because um, I think w- what we see and I, a lot of athletes would see was when they start getting tired physically, then they start making mistakes mentally, and then your mind, my mind anyways, will get back in the way of me uh, making shots. So um, that's really what we've really aimed at Bruce to do is to make sure we're physically fit, get to the point where we can be physically fit as well as as well as flexible enough and move properly so we don't get physically fatigued, which then leads to mental fatigue.
Hmm, those are some really good points. I've always said that I think that 90% of the game is mental and the other 10% is in your head. But in order to be mentally sharp, you have to be physically sharp. So let's take a moment to discuss your university years. I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to find a balance between taking my curling career to the next level, but also wanting to ensure that I am focusing on my university degree and post-degree. How did you find a balance while you were in business school, and did you ever prioritize one over the other? Yeah, this is something I've really uh, really learned about myself in the last few years. And I, I would have said in my university career, uh, my priority would have been curling um, 100%. Uh, it would have just been curling, then school, sometimes curling, partying, then school kind of thing. And and looking back, I wish that wasn't the case, but you, you live and learn. And even until a couple years ago, it was all curling. Everything, nothing else really mattered. I curled. All I thought about 12 hours a day was curling, and I just hammered that in to a point where it was just it was too much. It would just it would, I was just burnt out. I would have anxiety thinking about the game. I would worry about the game constantly. I'd think about having to go play, and I go, "This is brutal." I'd be going to a Grand Slam event, which is as a kid growing up, it's all I ever wanted to do was play in the Grand Slams, and I would think about how awful it was going to be to have to go for another week of curling. And so at that point, I knew I had to really um, take a look at what I was doing and take a look at my life and my balance in life and, and making sure it was what I wanted to do. And, and because that, the, way I, the way I was doing things wasn't going to allow myself to last in the game. I was going to get burnt out and quit because I wasn't enjoying it. So um, the last couple of years, I've really took a step back and just realized that there's more to life. Curling's a great part of my life. I love curling. But there's also my business, there's also my family, there's also my friends. And so I've been able to balance my life out a little more. When I'm not curling, I'm not worrying about curling. I've made some of those conscious decisions in my life to really let that area of my life go. And, and lo and behold, I've become a better curler. When, when I go out and play, I enjoy it. I love going out and throwing rocks now. I love the idea of going and playing in, in bonds fields again. Um, and when you go and when you're excited about being there, you can be focused and you can be into it and you can be successful. And so th- that would... You know, when I when I take that back to university, I certainly would have never uh, prioritized university over curling. But to the to the um, to yourself and the people that are going through that transition and those things in life, I would say really challenge you to enjoy other things in life as well and and have curling as that that passion and that love. But don't don't sink your whole life into it. Um, make sure you have all, everything else set up in your life too, because there's also going to be a time when curling isn't there. Um, like you say, um, as we get, the sport seems to get younger and younger. It's getting to be like a lot of other sports. By the time you're, you're 30, that might be the end of your curling career. And you got to make sure you have something else uh, uh, that's going to sustain your life so that you're going to enjoy. So. Yeah, those are all really good points. So it seems like the university curling is becoming a bigger thing in Canada now, especially with the university games happening every two years. So lots of universities aren't recognizing curling as a university sport, though. So there are only a few universities that actually have a curling program put in place. When you went to school at the University of Saskatchewan, was there any type of program or did you ever try to pursue university curling? You know, there was no program um, that I remember. I remember there were students, um, really some f- friends of mine, that really tried to get it going. And I know some some um, people ended up playing out of University of Saskatchewan, but there was no program. The university wouldn't encourage it. The university wouldn't fund it. Um, the university um, would not help in getting that done. And um, really, it's quite unfortunate in my mind Um, like you said now with the university games how curlers are becoming better younger and there's no opportunity for a kid and that goes to the university of saskatchewan to be able to play um 
on the university team. And as you know, we're losing a lot of athletes to other provinces and other schools and good athletes that, that would be great to stay in the province, but we're losing them to other schools and other, other um, provinces because they have a curling program. And I mean, that even comes down to... Um, the betterment of our province uh, we're losing kids out of the two out of province that after they graduate they're probably just going to stay in alberta or stay in ontario and so we're losing good quality humans to other provinces because we don't have a curling program at the university of saskatchewan when they recognize all, a lot of other sports so um, it's pretty it's too bad i hope they're looking into it but um, when i was in school it, it was not even a priority for me they they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't help us get there and they wouldn't support us in doing it um, i just focused on on my junior career really at the time. On another note, if we are being realistic, for majority of curlers, the sport isn't a po- at a point where we can make a full salary on tour. However, training and competing in curling requires nearly as much time as a full-time job. How do you keep up with your career while you are on the road? And do you think that curling will get to a point where it can be the only source of income? Yeah, I think uh, that comes back to me what I said earlier about really having that life curling balance. Um, I've been able to you know, when I'm home, I've been able to do a lot of work and, and deal with friends and, and, and spend time with family. And then when I'm on the road, I kind of focus on curling. But I, I do have, own my own business, so there's a lot of work that may need to happen on the road for, from any time. And um, I'm lucky enough I'm in a business where I can do a lot of it from my phone or, um, or from computer. So um, I've been able to balance that pretty well. Um, the other the other side of it on the Grand Slam, we're usually only playing one game a day too, um, so that certainly makes things easier than when you're trying to grind out three or four games on a uh, you know on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So um, for me, it's been it's been pretty manageable. But there's times that is it get, does get stressful when we do take off, and and sometimes you'd like to really focus on curling when you're away. But there's there's some things in your small business that you need to take care of. Um, but the other side of that too is um, that having your small business allows you to take off. Like you say, we don't make enough um, money on the you know on the tour or as a pro curler to to sustain ourselves so we need something when we get home that gives us the flexibility to go on the road to train Um, so it's kind of a trade-off either way but again it goes back to what I said just just balance the two so um, in terms of getting to a point where we could play professionally um, I think I think it's getting there the the Grand Slam of curling is really moving in the right direction. It's exciting. They're adding events. They're adding money. The, the television ratings continue to rise. I know there's there's interest from from the United States market as well as the Asian market and the Europe market for the television rights. I think if that ever would take off, then I think there would be the opportunity to make a living doing it. Um, Canada's got a, a, a beautiful curling following, but the the sheer population just isn't big enough to sustain uh professional sports in a lot of in a lot of arenas so if we could ever get that uh get those television rights of the grand slams into america into europe into asia um and and get some of those big um those big sponsors that would see those television numbers i think i think we could play professionally and i do believe it's it's on its way there and um with with the olympics it continues to rise in popularity and and the the TV ratings in Canada alone are, are rising. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we need. We need increased TV ratings, uh, track the big sponsors, and we play professionally. And I think it's, it's going to get there. By the time you're about 30, it'll be ready to go. Well, I hope that's the case. Uh, I just wanted to touch on, so when you're going away traveling, do you set aside time in the mornings or after a game that you know that you will be able to just focus on your job or what needs to get done? As a student, I know that lots of times I bring my books with the intention of doing some studying in between games, but sometimes a weekend can be very grueling. So how do you stay on track with your schedule while you're away competing? And do you also see a lot of other uh, teams or athletes kind of doing the same and working while they're competing? 
Yeah, good questions. I I guess the way I plan it out, again, I'm lucky because of a lot of our events are the Grand Slam events where we do tend to play one game a day, but I will compartmentalize that day. So I'll see when we play the next day. I'll sit down the night before, see when we play the next day, see when I could have time slots. Um, so I obviously want to get to the gym. I got to eat properly. I got to have a nap. You know, I got to play the game. But then there's usually an hour or two in there where I can get some solid work done, and I'll make sure I compartmentalize that day appropriately so I can get that work done. And a matter, it's a matter of just discipline in those in those instances. But certainly, um, some of the events we don't play the Grand Slams or, or or events you're talking about. I certainly remember in juniors, like or if we're playing the Briar, we're certainly not going to have time to do work. And I think it's a matter of scheduling beforehand, knowing that you're going to go into this weekend and everyone's got these lofty goals that they're going to have time to do this work, but it never pans out because you're always, if you're not curling, you're so exhausted, you just want to relax. Um, so I think it's a matter of really looking at what you need to do maybe that following week and making sure it's done before you go. Or just say, you know what, this isn't going to happen this weekend. I'm going to set it set it aside. I'm not going to have time to do this. Because I, I feel there's a lot of energy drain as well. When you think you should be doing something, you're not getting it done, and it continues to energy drain you, which is not good for your curling career, which is not good for your um, university career. So I think it's about planning beforehand, making sure you do have time or you don't have time, and being realistic with that. It was pretty neat to see some familiar faces when my team and I were competing at the World Championships in South Korea this past season, and we noticed Team Laycock in the crowd. What was it like touring the Olympic venues and knowing that your team could be back there for Olympics this winter? Yeah, that was cool. It was it was awesome going there. Um, I've never been to an Olympic venue. Uh, that was the first time I've been to one. I've never been to Vancouver. Never. I mean, I've been around the Calgary setup a little bit, um, but but never been to a venue or especially something that's so new and so fresh. And it was it was really cool to go and, and experience that and feel that atmosphere and feel where we could be playing. For me, I always said it became real. You know, we had this lofty goal, and I've had this lofty goal for six years that I want to go and. I want to win the Olympic gold medal. and uh, But what does that really even mean? Like, it's not very concrete. But as soon as I remember walking up, as you remember that building, I was walking up that building. I thought how big it was, how cool it was. We walked through the doors. What an amazing building. And it became so much, so much more concrete and, and so much more real that that is a possibility. And I think that gave me um, a lot of extra drive. But it also uh, just made the whole, the whole thing seem like... Uh, um, it was a doable thing now, and it was it was so much more real than it ever would have been than that just this lofty Olympics that we always talk about. What advice would you give for any young player or team that might be starting to think about the 2022 Olympic cycle? Take your time, for sure. I don't know what they're going to do with the um, I don't know necessarily what they're going to do with the Olympic trials qualifying program going forward. But if it's the same as this year, you need one year maybe two. You probably need a year to get into the Grand Slams or get close to the Grand Slams, and then you need another year to get qualified. So, you know, you want to plan maybe four years out, but make sure you don't get burnt out. And I, I think that's what I ran into a few years ago, and I'm lucky enough that I caught it a few years ago um, and was able to, you know, reassess some of the things in my life. But, um, you know, if you want to do that in 2022, that's five years away. A lot changes in five years. Um, you, you could have a different job. You could have moved to a different country. You could have kids. You know, a lot of things change in five years, but but take your time with it. Know that's your goal. Work towards your goal. Get better every day, um, but don't think you need to uh, be the best in the world tomorrow because five years is a long time. If you had asked Brad Jacobs in 2009 um, what, what his likelihood of going to the Olympics in 2014 were, it wouldn't have been, you know, he wouldn't have thought it was very likely. So a lot of things change in five years, so be patient and take it slow. So with that being said, I know that there are a lot of young 
young players that will be competing in the trials. Do you think that some of them will be anxious to get this season over with in a good way so that maybe they can spend some time with their families or maybe start thinking about having a family of their own if they're recently married? Yeah, that's a good question. I, 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 I've thought about that too, Kristen. I, I don't know. I think there is, um, there is definitely a few guys, you know, I'm talking more on the men's side and I, I know them a little more more playing more um but there would be a few in that group that i kind of think might you know change some of their priorities in life but that is tough to say i don't know the inner workings of of a lot of the teams and how they operate it's it's a cool life if you can balance it correctly um but i do agree there there are probably you know a handful of um the guys we play against in that olympic trials group um, that will probably say, you know what, I'm going to step back, maybe take a year or two even, just, just relax the game a little bit, focus on other parts of my life, and then maybe come back into it and see if they can make a run for, for 2022. I mean, logically, in my mind, that might make, make sense. Um, I'm to a point in my life, and especially with my curling career, like I told you, I, I just love the game. I just want to keep playing, um, whether that's, you know, to go to the 2022 Olympics or win the Briar in uh, 2019. You know, after this year, it doesn't really matter. I just want to play. So, And I think a lot of the other guys um, that we play against are in that same boat, but the younger guys might take some time and, and start having families. I'm not sure. Last season, your team had to make a lineup change late in the Olympic cycle when Colton Flash left the team and was replaced by Matt Dunstone. How difficult was it for you and your team when you first got the news, seeing as how you had grown as a team together and you were so close to the end of the Olympic cycle? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, uh, t- taken aback a little bit. Certainly uh, still great friends with Flash. We go we go golf and we go drink and we have a good time for sure. Um, no, no issues there, but um, it was certainly, we were caught off guard. We didn't, didn't think it would happen, but at the same time, like I talked about, uh, um, there's so much time commitment and, and so much commitment in this, um, in the way we do the game and the way we play the game. He just said he needed some time. He just wasn't having fun and wasn't enjoying the game anymore, and that's something I can really respect and I understand. I, I went through that myself, so um, I certainly, you know, it was tough to take. It was a tough uh, pill to swallow knowing that we were six months away from what we'd set out to do but that being said the, what he said and the reason for for you know stepping back and just playing the game and, and finding his love for it again and just enjoying playing um totally respect that totally understood where he's coming from like I said I've went through it myself so adding a guy like Matt Dunstone never hurts either yeah Matt's quite the character so obviously Matt Dunstone can make a bunch of shots and he has experience at international events but how long did it take you to find a rhythm with Matt on the team and is it something that you're still working on yeah I, th- I think I think any team will will continue to work on those team dynamics from the start of the, the when the team gets together to when the end. Um, like I said, everyone changes over time and everything changes over time. So I think you continue to to find different nuances within the team. But a guy like Matt, you know him. Um, he just he just fits. He fits anywhere. He's such a good team guy. I didn't know Matt that well. I knew of him. Said hi to him. You know, in the halls, playing him, stuff like that. Um, didn't know what to expect, but when he sat down, you got to know Matt. I couldn't believe what a, um, a considerate and and kind young gentleman he was, to be quite honest. And um, I, I feel old now calling someone young, but it was I was I was really taken aback about how courteous he was. And how much he was a team guy. It was all about the team, 100% about the team. No matter what, he was on board, and he was always respectful. And he's he's always got the one-liners. He's funny as hell. Um, so he fit in right away. Um, a guy like that will fit in anywhere forever. Um, so it was easy to mend a guy like that into the group. And um, I think we're going to continue to work on those team dynamics and, and figure out where everyone fits. But. Uh, um, that might be good for us too going into this year because that keeps it exciting, that keeps it fun, and that keeps it fresh. So, Lastly, what is it like playing at such a high level with your brother Dallin as lead and your father Lyle as coach? 
it's awesome. And again, I go back to when, when I didn't enjoy the game, it was a grind, but now I feel that as such an opportunity, you know, how lucky am I that I spend, we spend about a hundred days a year on the road. Plus all the time, like my brother and I were just practicing out here before. Um, how cool is it? I could spend all my winter, about a hundred days a year on the road with my, my brother and my father, two people that are closest to me. So, I mean, it's, it's so, I'm so lucky to be able to travel and get to do it with them. And then when you go and win, when you you know when you win that green jacket or you win a big game, how cool is it when you get to go and hug your dad and your brother when you do it? I mean, it's just it's so cool to share those experiences with them. Mom's able to travel with us lots and be there as well. Um, it's just such a cool um, thing for us to play together, win those big moments together, and then just enjoy that daily process together too. It's something you'll obviously cherish forever because not many people will get to do that with with really their family and the people they love the most. All right, well, that does it for episode one of Next Steps with Kristen. Many thanks to Kirk Myers for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Join me next time when I take the next steps in my journey from juniors to the pros.